Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Welcome back to Interview with the Experts, a podcast series from Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Education. I'm your host, Dr. Luke Birchall. I'm leading development of the heart failure care pathway here at Mayo Clinic for adults with congenital heart disease. And joining me is Dr. PJ Spencer, cardiothoracic surgeon. Thanks for your time today, PJ. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. I'm asked a lot about mechanical support and ventricular assist devices. I think that um, people are becoming more aware, people are meeting more patients that have had one of these. So I thought we'd start very generally with the surgeon's perspective on what is mechanical circulatory support and specifically what are ventricular assist devices. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for asking because it's as you mentioned, it's a changing field, a growing field, and it's technology, so it changes over time. So mechanical support is the general term that we use for any machine that helps achieve blood pressure and circulation in someone with particularly heart failure. Uh, and it comes in two categories. We have the more well-known durable mechanical support, and then there's acute mechanical support as well. Acute support can be something as large and aggressive as ECMO, uh, or extracorporeal membranous oxygenization. And that's something where you need to be in the hospital, uh, in an ICU, and under an incredible amount of care uh, by nursing and critical care doctors. And then there's durable support. And durable support currently really is a left ventricular assist device. And the ventricular assist device is a type of mechanical support that provides circulation to do what the ventricle does, which is to pump the blood when it's too weak to provide enough cardiac output. Currently, the only real durable device that we have in the United States that's FDA approved is the is the HeartMate 3 device. And so they've been a real lifesaver, uh, including for people who might be listed or waiting for a transplant. What's your experience been in that group of patients, people waiting for a transplant? How do the ventricular assist devices or VADs, how are the VADs helping them? And also, are they presenting some new challenges when we use VADs in these patients as a bridge to transplant? They, they can present challenges. They help in that a durable ventricular assist device, when it works best, uh, we can implant these devices, close the patient's chest and get them home so that they can rehabilitate, they can exercise, and they can have quality of life while they wait for a transplant in the best circumstances. In the congenital population from a technical standpoint, they can prevent, uh, present challenges. You know, they were designed for a left ventricle uh, in a person with acquired heart disease. So they're designed to be sewn on a thick muscle and have a functioning right ventricle to load that left ventricle for the assist device to pump. And congenital disease can be all kinds of configurations. So in an adult congenital person suffering heart failure, there are some diseases where it can work and, and work pretty well. Things like congenitally corrected transposition of the great vessels, the left ventricle is morphologically a right ventricle and they often have a right ventricle that's morphologically a left ventricle pumping and filling that right ventricle. And it can be a very good option for those patients. 
It is more difficult to implant because the tissues are thinner, but uh, hemodynamically, it can work well. Another great population is someone who had Epstein's anomaly, treated well as a child surgically, and then progresses to heart failure. Patients where it can present technical challenges are, are folks with a single ventricle physiology because the venous return to them is passive, as we know, and that can create trouble loading that ventricle for the continuous flow pump to work well, and they can have suction issues uh, and alarms and, and can be problematic for that patient and, and frankly doesn't work so great. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, I know some centers are sort of forging ahead. They're trying mm -hmm. to use just a single ventricular assist device in patients who have had the Fontan operation, but that's not something that we're able to offer right now at Mayo Clinic. We just haven't really seen the kinds of outcomes that would favor that treatment, correct? Correct. And there are other issues uh, that are more administrative. In the current era of listing patients, you're somewhat disadvantaged with the left ventricular assist device. So unless it's providing a real opportunity to rehabilitate and become a better candidate for transplant, it may not be ideal in that if you have acute mechanical assist device, you'll be status two in the hospital. If you get a left ventricular assist device and you're stable, you're status four. So you really have to select those patients well to say this is gonna benefit the patient to make them a better transplant candidate than they are right now to use it. Otherwise you may actually be disadvantaging that patient. Yes, I agree, a delicate balance indeed. So we're really talking about uh, a two ventricle circulation patient. So here where this series is all about adults with congenital heart disease. So people who have a left heart and a right heart, those two sides are separated. We say that's a two ventricle circulation. We are seeing that they're patients that could certainly benefit from a ventricular assist device if they're presenting with advanced heart failure. And I think the message for cardiologists who are listening today is, correct me if I'm wrong, you need to meet with these patients sooner rather than later. So if they've got advanced heart failure and the more complex the congenital heart disease is, you really need some time to understand the patient as well as their heart and their anatomy, correct? Yes, sir. I, I definitely agree. And, and I would refer them to, to uh, cardiologists experienced in heart failure very early, as soon as they start to seem that they're failing, before they present with multi-organ failure, ideally, because there are other options for mechanical support beyond the left ventricular assist device. And it's a growing field. And there are many things in, um, in development that may provide better support for these patients that, that we can offer as, as time progresses. And so you're seeing these patients after they've had um, a device, let's concentrate on the ventricular assist device. You're seeing these patients in follow-up. What sort of improvements are you seeing after these patients recover from their surgery, they go home? What might we expect for those patients? Right, what we hope to see is improvement in symptomatology. So this, these heart failure patients who have been congested, they're tired, Physiologically, they may be experiencing other organ failure, specifically kidney failure and the early stages of liver failure, that we would correct those abnormalities so they would be more energetic, more able to uh, participate in their daily life and have decreased effects of, of multi-organ failure. And do you see a, a group of patients where the ventricular assist device is also helping to optimize them in preparation for transplant? Yes, exactly. 
those things in general, i.e. Pre preventing multi-organ failure and the consequences of those. But also there are many patients as we talk about optimizing the individual patients that may be, that may be physically very unfit because of fatigue and, and debilitation that this could be a way to gain strength and rehabilitate them towards transplant. Um, it gives them an opportunity to lose weight. And there are other things that may prevent listing for transplant, such as a history of smoking or substance use that we could use that time to stop smoking or stop using substances in an unhealthy way for enough time to make them a reasonable candidate for transplant. So uh, coming back to the patient, these are people, those that benefit, would you say that they're usually those that are really motivated to engage in that kind of change and the behavior that's needed to improve their overall health and well-being? Yes, sir. I'd say every patient uh, does better when they're motivated in their own care to, to make some of these lifestyle changes uh, across the board, especially as you're approaching something so significant as any LVAD therapy. I mean, that alone is a huge lifestyle change for a given patient, but certainly transplant as well. That's a large lifestyle change as you're approaching living on immunosuppression and kind of in the medical field. So absolutely. And, and that LVAD can be an opportunity to bridge that gap. Okay, well, this has been great. I hope that this has been informative for those listening out there. Think about this for your patients who are presenting with those more advanced features of heart failure. I completely agree with Dr. Spencer. When we're starting to see patients having repeat hospitalizations, worsening functional class, but particularly end organ dysfunction, call your local heart failure specialist, arrange that appointment, and if they're congenital, that appointment needs to be even sooner because these are very complex patients that require extra time for us to understand the patient, his or her heart, and their anatomy. And then we can come up with some solutions, which, as you say, PJ, they are evolving every day. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Luke. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and thanks for speaking with me. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.